Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Glad to be here in church. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we are in a series called Grace Marriage. It's the start of a new ministry here at this church uh, that we wanted to start earlier this year, but circumstances being what they are, we weren't able to. But we are kicking off a new ministry called Grace Marriage that John talked about last week. He joined in with us. Uh, he did a great job, um, a really, really great job preaching as uh, my, my family and I were on vacation. And it's really, really good to be back. But this is probably one of my favorite topics. I love marriage. I love being married. And I know that that is a very strange statement to make in America right now or in the West in general because marriage rates are plummeting. Uh, it's out of vogue. It's, it's, it's not cool. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, 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 a punchline on TV, marriages and, and things like that. Uh, um, <clears throat> as of two years ago, 41% of children are now born outside of wedlock. And, and uh, uh, if, if you are a single mom, we love you. We're so glad you're here, so glad you're joining us. Our single dad, um, that's, that's no judgment. That, that is just a statistic. In 1960, that, that figure was 10%. So we're seeing more and more people living together, not getting married, or just having children, starting families outside of marriage. Marriage is basically being seen as non-essential. As a matter of fact, marriage is becoming a thing for the wealthy. The, most, the, the people that are getting married now are typically wealthier. Um, and and it's, it is kind of left uh, people that are not as wealthy behind. It seems like that, that, that is a trend that is going on right now. And so one of the things that we want to do as a church, we want to stress marriage because marriage is God's territory. It's his invention and it is his, uh, his deal. And we want to promote it. We want to uh, honor it. We want to, uh, to give it the, uh, the honor that it deserves. And so that's what the purpose of this series and this new ministry we're starting called Grace Marriage is about. Um, before we get into everything, I want to say three words. This is our new motto around here. I haven't cleared with the elders. As a matter of fact, I just made it up on the way up here. But this is our new motto. Church is essential. That's what it is. Church is essential. I want you guys to hear that, that, that right now in our society, we're trying to decide what's essential and what's not. I'm telling you, church is essential. It is. We need the church. More than ever, than ever maybe ever, uh, we need the church. We need fellowship. We need, the, the, we need worship. We need preaching. We need the ministries of the church. So church is essential. I didn't clear that with the elders. Sorry, elders. I didn't clear that with you, but I... That's our new, that, that's, you'll hear that from me every single Sunday, and I hope that you believe that as much as I do. But uh, we're going to go into, if we're going to start a marriage ministry, we've got to figure out what marriage is. What is marriage? This, this didn't used to be a problem. People knew what marriage was until recently, and it has had come under all kinds of redefinitions and, and uh, different things going on. So first of all, we have to decide what marriage is, and as always, we go to the Word of God. Matthew 19, <clears throat> verse 4. This is Jesus, the Son of God, talking. He, they, they, the, the, some people came to him and asked him a question about divorce and, and, and whether or not it was okay. And Jesus answers it this way. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, 
And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So I, I kind of define marriage like this. Marriage is the lifelong commitment before God of one man and one woman for the formation of a new family unit. That's what marriage is. That's the definition of marriage. And, and when, when Jesus defined marriage like this, he limited it. This is something we have to understand. That's what a definition does. It limits it limits what it can possibly be. Uh, uh, by nature, whatever is, uh, it will include some things, and it will exclude some other things. For example, if I say this is a cell phone, <clears throat> it, will, it limits it. It cannot be a rotary phone. Instead, by saying that this is a cell phone, it excludes the fact that it's a rotary phone. Can't be that. And if I go further and I say that this is an iPhone, it limits it further. It can't be a BlackBerry or a Droid. And if I continue and say this is an iPhone 6, y'all will laugh at me and say, hey, that is so 2014, dude. You know, and, 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 and but then, then you'd realize and say that's about right for a guy that drives a car that's 20 years old. I just realized that my car is older than three of my four children. And that you say that's not that big a deal until you realize that two of my kids are in college, you know. Uh, but anyway... Defining something by nature limits it. And I, 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 was, uh, I, I was talking to a guy uh, several years ago that was interested in our church, asked some questions about our church, and he, and he asked me uh, if I believed that marriage was between one man and one woman. And I said yes. I, I, I said that's, that's my understanding of it from the Word of God and from human tradition for the last 6,000 years. And he said, uh, he said, well, that makes you a bigot. And, and I said, well, uh, he, he said that he believed marriage should be open to same-sex couples as well. And, and I said, well, that makes you a bigot. And he said, what? I said, well, you said that it is for couples. I said, a, a cup, couples, by definition, is two people. And so you have excluded polyamorous couples, People that, like two men and one woman, or, or, or one man and two women, you have excluded them. Why are you so bigoted against them? And, and he said, well, I, I don't understand what, what you say. And I said, well, let's take three. Let's take a, a man and, let's say, two women, or two men and one woman. They're, they're consenting adults. They're, they love each other. They're taxpayers. Why would you not allow them to get married? He said, well, I, I mean, I guess we could extend the definition. I said, okay, well, how about four? Five? Ten? I, I, I said, at what point does your definition solidify? By, by definition, you're going to exclude. By defining marriage, you're going to exclude some people. That's what a definition does. And, and I said, well, why don't we have the whole state of Kentucky just get married? I mean, we're all related anyway, you know. For, for, for those of you watching online, that's what's known as a joke, okay? We, we in Kentucky like to make fun of ourselves because we know what you think of us, okay? But for the record, we are not all related. There are at least three families in this state, okay? All right. So, but why don't we just allow the whole state of Kentucky to all get married and live together in this happy thing? Four and a half million of us. 
Well, that's completely impractical. There's no way that could happen. That would mean, without a definition, everything goes away. So uh, I, I, said, I said, there are two things going on here. I said, we can define marriage according to the word of God, from God's word of what the Son of God said, one man, one woman, or we can leave it to people to define it. And if we leave it to people to define it, then all of a sudden we have no basis. We have no basis for objectivity. It just depends on whatever some person wants. And I said, if you call me a bigot for saying one man, one woman, based on the criteria that you stated, then you are a bigot. Everyone has a bigot line, in other words. If you define something, you're going to exclude. And so we in the church must define things according to the word of God, not what is popular, not what is, not what is seen as, as, a, a, as politically correct, whatever. We have to hold up marriage according to what God said because it's his word. Marriage is God's territory. Okay, what we have done as people, we have basically, uh, you know, here's the analogy. I, I have my house, I've got my house, and I've got the furniture arranged like I like it. And let's say that somebody comes in and says, hmm, uh, I think we'll move the couch over here, and we'll move the TV over here, and uh, we'll, we'll move the master uh, bedroom down here. I'm like, whoa, 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 this is my house. You can't do that without asking me. This is my house. And he looks at you, well, well why are you such a bigot? See, marriage is God's territory. We don't get to go into his house and start rearranging things and redefining things. That's known as foolishness. You wouldn't accept that in your house, I would hope. Do we think that God accepts that in his? No, he, he doesn't. And because God established marriage, he established it for a very specific purpose. This is why this is so important. That it is one man, one woman. This is it. I want you guys to get this. It is so important that the church and Christians hold to the biblical definition of marriage. It's not because of hate or because of bigotry or, any, uh, for any, or homophobia or anything that people are saying. It is not because of that. Because we in the church don't hate anyone. We don't hate anyone. Okay? We're not phobic about anything. Okay, this is why. Because God established marriage for a far different reason than we think. He looks at marriage very differently than we do. This is why God is pro-marriage. Look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Whoa, hang on a second. Did Paul just say what I thought he said? He just said that marriage was talking about Christ and the church. We have to understand this. We have to get this, people, because this is what God wants marriage to be. God wants marriage to be an object lesson for how Christ relates with the church. That's what it is. He says, you know, in his infinite wisdom, he's up there saying, okay, these humans are a bunch of idiots, and we are. We're a bunch of idiots. We, don't, we, we barely know what day it is, okay? And he says, how can I illustrate the way that I interact with my people? How can I? I got it. I'm going to establish this thing called marriage, man, woman. And whenever the people, I'm going to fill the earth with this, all these object lessons of how I interact with my people, Christ and the church, man, wife. I'll do that. Okay, and so marriage is God's object lesson of how he relates with his people. 
That's what it is. That's why it's so important to be man and woman. Okay? See, if we have two men or two women in marriage, that's not the object lesson God wants. He doesn't, he's not trying to illustrate how God relates with God or how the church relates with the church. He wants to illustrate how God relates with the church. That is why it is so very important that the church holds to the biblical definition. If we want to see, so basically what God said, you want to know how God loves his people and how people love God? Look at how husbands and wives love each other. And most of us are looking, scratching our heads saying, God, is that really the best you could come up with? Because I've seen a married couple over there, and if that's the way that Christ and his church relate, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, may I suggest to you that it is not the marriage that is problem. The problem is that we have two sinful, selfish people together, and they're falling short. It's not the ideal of marriage that has, fa- that has failed that object lesson. It's us that has failed that. And so because of that, because marriage is God's territory, he's given us a whole bunch of things, how we're supposed to, per- how, how we're supposed to uh, act in marriage, how we're supposed to relate in marriage, so that we will be that example to this world. Did you know that if you are a married couple, you are God's object lesson to this world of how Christ relates with his church. Did you know that? Most of us don't know that, but that's exactly what the Bible says. And because of that, God has given us some specific things to do in marriage so that we will be that object lesson. Okay? The first thing is this, is that we follow the golden rule in marriage. It's amazing when I tell couples that the golden rule, taught to you most likely by your grandmother, which is do unto others as you would have others do, have them do to you. So in everything, do to others. You have them do to you, Matthew 7, 12. It's amazing, like I said, that, when, and that people are surprised that this is the number one rule in marriage. It is. Um, I remember working at youth camp. I was a youth minister for nine years. And um, every, if you, who's, who's worked a youth camp before, like a Christian camp? Anyone done that yet? It, it's awesome. It's great. And, and the best thing is the night, the last night. That's when all the stops are pulled out. That's when the, the, the best speaker speaks, and he really lays it on them, and, and everybody starts crying. And, 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 and you know, and, and of course, that's the, the, the last time for the guys to sit next to the cute girl at campfire, you know. And, and everybody makes these big, huge promises to God and to each other about what they're going to do, how their lives are going to change when they get back home. And it's a beautiful thing, it really is. Until the next day, and the parents show up. And I, I can just remember one of, the, one of the years, one of the guys who came up to me on the last night and said he was gonna go into ministry and surrender his life to Christ and wanted to be baptized and, and all these big things. I was sitting next to him on a, stone, on a big stone fence and his mom and dad showed up and they said well hey how you doing and they talked for about two minutes and after two minutes he started using a tone and words that were ugly that were 
You could tell that he was exasperated with his parents and he was disrespectful to them. And he was, he was very, very ugly in his tone. And I said, this guy isn't going to make it. Because if the parents talked to him that way, he wouldn't like it. He was incapable of following the golden rule for two minutes. And this applies to married couples. I want you to do an inventory. Those of you who are married, those of you who are dating, or those of you who would like to be dating or would like to be married at some point, would you enjoy being talked to in the way that you talk to your spouse? Think about that for a second. Would you enjoy being talked about the same way you talk about your spouse? Ladies, when you're around your friends, is it a husband bashing session? My wife used to work in a doctor's office where it was about 98% women. And she told me that from the time she arrived at work, the time she left, her coworkers complained about their husbands all day long, every day. Would you like being talked about that way? Men, the Bible tells us to love our wives and to not be harsh with them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I was counseling a couple once in my office and they were, they were in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. I knew when he arrived five minutes before her that it was going to be bad. They didn't even arrive together. That's usually a sign in counseling that it's not going to go well. Well, the, I, I, I quickly ascertained the reason that they were arriving separate and they were in counseling. He had just bought a $40,000 truck without telling her. Okay, rule number one, okay? Do not make big purchases without consulting your spouse, okay? That is a big no-no. Well, they, she, she felt so disrespected and so, so, I can't believe you did this. We can't afford this. And you, you know, da 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 And they were just yelling at each other. Husbands, well, I got a right to do with my money, you know, this kind of stuff. And I simply asked the husband, I said, would you appreciate if she spent $40,000 on, and I just, and she said, Jewelry. And his face went white as a ghost. He goes, man, she can't do that. And then the realization hit him. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. If you don't want your spouse spending 40 grand on something, don't spend 40 grand yourself. If you don't like being yelled at, don't yell. If you don't like harsh language, don't be harsh. The golden rule is applicable to all marriage. Now, I just want everyone to do an inventory. How have I spoken to my spouse this week? How have I, what decisions have I made that I would not want him or her to make? Well, this is a time of repentance and reflection, okay? Because marriage is God's territory, we follow the golden rule so that we can be that object lesson to the world who wants to know how Christ and his church relate together. The second thing is that we follow 12 words. These are my favorite 12 words in the whole Bible. 12 words that, if followed, 
Every home, I believe, would be happy, peaceful, and you'd say, well, what are the 12 words? Well, here they are from James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. See, a lot of times, we get that opposite. We, 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 we're, we're, we're slow to listen, we're quick to speak, and we're quick to become angry, true? True? Well, these, these words, we really need to look at. It says, first of all, be quick to listen. I want to ask, are we quick to listen? Are we quick to listen? Because most times, when I fall short in this area, I'm not really listening. What I'm doing is I'm waiting for my turn to speak. When, when, when my wife are discuss, and I are discussing things, or my, me and my kids are, are discussing things, many times I'm really not hearing what they have to say. I'm listening for her to stop so I can say what I've already pre-planned in my head. I'm probably the only one in here that does that, aren't I? Yeah, 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 there's a perfect guy right over there. Yeah. But do we really listen? Not waiting for our turn to speak, but to really listen. I know a lot of times, especially when there's conflict, we don't want to listen. But the Bible says, be quick to listen. Why would the Bible say that? Well, probably because many times when we listen, we hear things that we hadn't considered before. And the second thing is because if we want to be listened to, we must also listen. Golden rule. And then the second thing, it says, be slow to speak. This is something that, I, something that I have learned in my older age. I was not good at this in my 20s and in, even into my 30s. I was quick to speak what was on my mind. And I thought that that was somehow virtuous, that, that somehow I was standing for something and I, I was expressing myself and I, I was really, you know, I wasn't being fake. I, I, I was being real. That's what I told myself. And then someone told me, no, you're actually being a real jerk. Most people that are just being real are just being real jerks. See, it says to be slow to speak. So much of what is said, you all, between husband and wife in the home just doesn't need to be said. True? True? Just doesn't need to be said. Because your wisdom isn't speaking, it's emotion or it's ignorance. That's why the Bible says to be slow to speak. You encounter something in your home that, that upsets you. Why don't we just be slow to speak? Because there may be something we're missing. So why don't we be quick to listen and slow to speak instead of the other ways around? My biggest failures as a husband and as a father when I've gotten those two things mixed up, when I've been slow to listen and quick to speak. And I would imagine most of the husbands, I can't speak for the wives, but most of the husbands in here would agree with that. True husbands? When we've gotten those two things mixed up, when we've been slow to listen and quick to speak, that's when we've, we've made our biggest mistakes. And the third thing, slow to become angry. The Bible tells us that there's more hope for a fool than a quick-tempered person. If you're a quick-tempered person, these 12, these 12 words... Need, you need to start applying these. Be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. How many of you all have done or said things in anger that you really regret? How many of us have, have, have the potential to destroy 
the people that we love because of what we said in anger. Here's the truth, husbands and wives. You can destroy in one moment everything you spent your life building. You can say the wrong words. You can use the wrong tone. You can have, you can have been married for 20 or 30 years and using the, in a moment of anger, you can destroy it all. You know how I know that? Because those, many of those stories come through my office. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry so that the unbelieving world out there can see a husband and a wife as Christ is with the church. Because marriage is God's territory, the next one, this is the big one. This is my favorite one. We forgive as the Lord forgives. Colossians 3.13 says something that none of us are very good at living out. Look what it says. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, here's the kicker. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the standard in marriage. To forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So if you see two people who not only survive in marriage, but thrive in marriage, I will show you two people that have become very good at forgiving each other, okay? Marriage does not, does not last without forgiveness. Why? Because we're all broken, selfish, self-centered, sinful people. We all are. And two broken, selfish, self-centered, sinful people trying to make a life together, what could possibly go wrong, Right? So the second, the second that we begin to realize the wisdom is this, we look up and we say, God, what have you forgiven in me? How many of you all have some pretty amazing stuff that God has forgiven in you? <laughs> Absolutely. Every hand better be up. If, if, if your hands aren't up, then you don't, you're not very self-aware. God has forgiven so much in you. Therefore, we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. We take that and apply in our marriage. The sad truth, though, in our culture is that we are rapidly becoming people who don't forgive. I don't know if you know that or not. We increasingly don't accept apologies. We increasingly use another's mistakes as ammunition against them instead of showing grace. So my question is, husbands and wives and those that at some point would like to be married, are you a good forgiver? Are you a good forgiver? This is how you know if you're, if you're a good forgiver. This is how you know. It's really easy. This is how you know if you're a good forgiver. Not what you think of yourself, but this is what you think, this is, this is how you know. People around you, especially your family, easily admit mistakes to you. They easily admit when they've, when they've, when they've made mistakes. They do it because it's safe to do that around you. That's why. If you're a graceless, unforgiving person, and a lot of us are, don't ever expect anyone to apologize to you or ask your forgiveness. Think about it. Someone apologizes to you for messing up, maybe big, and you blast them in the, in the face with it, and you, you rake them over the coals with it. You've taught that person a very valuable lesson, haven't you? And we cannot criticize people for learning the lessons that we teach them. You know, when you punish people for apologizing to you, 
Don't be surprised if they don't apologize. They learned very well the lesson that you taught them. Or worse, maybe you don't throw it back in their face. But you hold on to it. You're more sly. You're more passive-aggressive about it. Uh, homes are full of people, believe me. They're full of people that hold family members' mistakes over their head for weeks, months, even years. Uh, bringing up the past at every opportunity. Using words like, this is just like the time when. Or, you, or, or bringing it up whenever it's useful for getting what they want. Don't expect anyone to ever ask your forgiveness or apologize if you are an, a graceless person. You've taught them well. You've taught them very well. And they've learned their lesson. Graceless people, I've found, are usually the ones that complain the most about how fake everyone is. If you are a person that says, man, I, can't, I just can't believe all these fake people around here. You might be a graceless person. Of course they're going to be fake around you. They're not allowed to be real. They're not allowed to even be human. You've seen to that. They'll distance from you. They'll lie to your face. They will lie to your face and not fess up to anything. And you'll blame their character. That's what graceless people do. They, they blame other people. All the while, that person is simply living out the lesson that you've taught them and that they've learned from you. So my... my my statement, my, my plea, my challenge is to become a good forgiver. Become a person who shows the same kind of grace to other people that God has shown to you. Do that for a little while and watch the people around you relax. Watch the people in your life just take a breath. Watch them begin to be real around you because all of a sudden it's okay. Start in your own home. See, marriage is God's territory. And so forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You will be amazed at the difference in your home if you forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Because marriage is God's territory, the next one is this. We honor marriage among everyone. The purpose of this is to elevate this institution of marriage that's been so dragged through the mud in our culture. Um, Hebrews 13.4 commands this. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Okay? Our culture has taken sex right out of marriage and has said it's okay. And God says and the Bible says that God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral, so let's move marriage back into prominence, okay? Both husband and wife prioritizing each other, honoring marriage above all, honored by all, okay? Um, one of the things that bothers me, I guess, as a guy, it, it's always bothered me because Ever since I met my wife right after my freshman year in college, I wanted to get married. And my teammates in college, sophomore, junior, senior year, would, would just run marriage down. They would, they would, they would talk about women in, in, in very, very, very uh, degrading ways and everything. And, and, and that always bothered me. And I want to challenge the men in here. If you, are, if you work around a bunch of guys and they're, they're making degrading uh, comments about women or about marriage or anything, I want to ask you to be a man. And say, guys, I'm not going to be part of this conversation. It's not who I am. It's not what I believe. Um, I've got a wife. I love her. 
And uh, I'm not going to be part of a conversation that talks about women like that. I'm not going to be part of a conversation that runs down marriage like that. Because, see, that's something really sacred to me. So you guys go ahead. I'm bowing out. I'm, I'm not going to be part of that conversation. Let's bring honor from marriage back into our speech, back into our homes. Let's celebrate couples that do, that, that, that do get married. Let's, let's celebrate and, and let's celebrate their anniversaries and let's, let's congratulate them on, on years and, and, and everything like that because marriage should be honored by all the word of God says. And this is the, this is the kicker. If you are looking, if you, if you are not married and you are looking for a godly spouse, let me challenge you and say this, that the person you should be looking for the first thing of utmost importance is that a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Does this person move you closer to God or away from God? That is the number one thing. And I want to ask the married couples, do you move your spouse closer to God or do you pull them away? Do you, by your actions, encourage devotion to God or by your actions pull them away? Um, I do lots of pre-marriage counseling before I do weddings. And, uh, and I always ask this one question. I say, what is your biggest priority? I ask the, 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 the two, the, the, the man and the woman. I, I say, what is your biggest priority in life? And very many well-meaning men and women, thinking that they, they're going to tell you know, the preacher what he wants to hear, and the spouses what, or the, the fiancés what they want to hear. They say, oh, oh my, my, my fiancé, she's the biggest priority in my life. And she'll look and say, oh, he's the biggest priority in my life. And I'm telling you, that is not God's design for marriage. It's not. My wife should never be my biggest priority, and I should never be hers. I've been married for 24 years. And I can tell you that when Christ... It's my number one priority. My love, my passion is for Christ, not my wife, that I'm a better husband, a better father, better pastor. Because when Christ is your number one priority, hear this, you might even want to write this down, you might even want to tweet it out. When Christ is your number one priority, you have a supernatural power available to you that you don't have otherwise. When Christ is your number one priority, not your spouse, not your children, not your job, nothing. Christ is your number one priority. You have a supernatural power available to you that you do not have otherwise. I'm living proof of that. I was talking with a young man who was very excited about his new girlfriend, thinking that marriage was in the future. And he said, you know, I think she's really the right one for me. And I said, man, that's awesome, beautiful. I love hearing that. I said, let me ask you a question. Are you the right one for her? See, so many times we knock ourselves out to find the person that will fulfill you. The person, if I can just find the right one, right? Anybody said those words? If I can just find the right person, if I can just find that godly man, if I can just find that godly woman, if I could just find the right person, everything would be great. Maybe if we spent that energy in being the right person, 
we would have more success. I see so many people trying to find the right person, but I don't see very many people trying to be the right person. Invite the band back up. I want to, you, you can't, God will send you your spouse if that's in his plan, in his good time. You can't force that. You can't. So in the meantime, if you are single and you are wanting to be married, you desire a very, very good thing. But spend this time working on being the right person. Maybe God has, has withheld someone from you because you're not ready. Because if you were to get together with that person right now, it would be a disaster. You would be a disaster for this person. And he's protecting that person from you until you can get your character together. That's a very strong possibility. And please understand that. That God will not allow one of his precious children to meet a person that is going to destroy them. So, spend your time being the right person. Do you need to work on becoming a forgiver? Do you need to work on self-control? Do you need to work on getting your finances in order? All these things we used to spend your time doing so that you will be the right person when you find the right person. And if you're already married, guess what? <laughs> Marriage is not the finish line. It is the starting line, and you have a race to run. So we still must continue every day to be the right person, to be the person our spouse needs. My parents we have been married 50 years. They just celebrated 50 years on June 20th. Praise God. You know what they still have to do today? They still have to be the right person. My dad still has to work on being the right person for my mom, and my mom still has to work on being the right person for, for him. And I've been married 24 years, and I still have to work on being the right person for my wife, and my wife still has to work on being the right person for me because it never ends. Are you the right person? Not have you found the right person. Are you the right person? Because God doesn't want you to just survive in marriage. He wants you to thrive in marriage. Main thing. God doesn't want marriage to just survive. He wants it to thrive. So as we close out today, as we close out today, I want to ask you, do you treat your spouse as you want to be treated? Can you follow those 12 words? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Are you a good forgiver? Are you honoring marriage? Are you that object lesson that this world needs to see and how Christ relates with his church? If you need prayer, if, you need, if, if, if you've just blown it, if you feel like I, 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 what I heard today, that is not me. I want to pray with you. I want to help you. This, mar this, this marriage ministry is to encourage you, is to help you. And if you, uh, uh, I, I pray that this was all preaching to the choir, but I know it wasn't. So I want you guys to take this home and apply it today. Do that because our marriages need it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the institution of marriage. I thank you for defining it for us, what it is, and how we should live in it. And I pray that the marriages in this church...
and the future marriages in this church with the young people who are not yet married. I pray, Lord, that they would all be object lessons that you would point people to, say, this is how I relate with my people. Lord, we've been dropping the ball, and I pray that today is a day of repentance, a day of change, and a day of doing things according to your word. Lord, we've tried it on our own, and we've failed. And so I pray that, that today is a day of change for the homes represented in this church and online. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.